Hello, everybody. It is Tracy Thomas here, host of The Stacks, and I am back with you to do another episode of The Stacks on a Bridge, which is our Patreon-exclusive monthly bonus episode. This month, I am sharing with you a live recording of an event I just did with Kylie Reed, the author of the brand new New York Times bestseller, Come and Get It, as well as her debut book, Such a Fun Age. Kylie and I got together thanks to the folks at Roman's Bookstore. We talked about Come and Get It, and you're going to get to hear that. I do have to let you know one thing. Because this was a live recording, the audience mics did not pick up the audience questions. So in the back half of our conversation, you're going to hear me come in on this mic and kind of paraphrase what the question was so you can hear Kylie's brilliant answers. This is called The Pains and Wonders of Technology. Oh, and for those of you who this episode cuts out after about 10 minutes, that means you're not a member of the Stacks Pack yet. You need to go to patreon.com slash the Stacks and join to hear the full thing. In addition to getting to hear this entire episode, you also get our backlist catalog of bonus episodes. You get to join our monthly virtual book club. You get to be part of our very active Discord community and a lot more. Plus, and this part's really important to me, by joining the Stacks Pack, you help make it possible for me to make the Stacks every single week. So, Head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join. All right, enough of me talking. Let's get into this conversation. I'm going to take you into the All Saints Church in Pasadena, California, where I sat down with Kylie Reed. She kicked off the evening with a reading from the book, and I'm going to drop you in at the very end of that to dive into our conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Let lift your shoulders like fucking duh and I said something about it and she was like what why would you say that and I was like whoa my bad but I'm gay so chill out but yeah when I saw her name on the dorm list I was like wow I'm gonna go to jail this year but then I asked Amy who I was paired with and I was like okay fine she seems normal at this Millie experienced what she knew was a surplus of flattery and what felt like an adolescent intrigue at learning that Colette was gay in order to not draw attention to Colette's gayness, something she hadn't considered one way or the other, Millie picked up another sheet of cards. Stop there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> okay, theater major, I see. <laughs> Kylie was a theater major. Um, the book is fantastic. It is about Millie, who is a RA, second-year senior, it's a dorm drama. She's got a cast of characters on her floor, one of which is a gal named Kennedy, who is a transfer. There's something going on with Kennedy. That's what you need to know about Kennedy. It's not great. There's a journalist who comes to town and she wants to write about weddings. And so she's interviewing the students. And that's sort of the overview of the book. Now we'll get to the fun stuff. This is a book all about status and who is in control and who isn't. And I think when I was reading the book, I was thinking a lot about like, what is Kylie trying to tell me about these people and what's important? And I think, you know, I've read a bunch of the reviews. It talks a lot about class, talks a lot about money. It talks a lot about race, talks a lot about power. But to me, it's all about who's jockeying for which position at which moment. And it's like never the richest person is the most powerful, or it's never the most powerful person has the most you know, friends or the blackest person, or, you know, it's never that. So I'm wondering how you were thinking about who's on top and how that changes and sure. how that rotates. I think it just depends on, on the scene. Honestly, this whole, this whole book started when I read the book, you're a nonfiction girly. Maybe you've read too. I read this book called paying for the party 
How College Maintains Inequality, written by two sociologists, Laura Hamilton and Elizabeth Armstrong, one of whom works at my school as well. Um, it's a book, it's a five-year interview study that these two sociologists did where they went to a Midwestern university and lived on a dorm and interviewed young women from freshman year to beyond and marked their financial pathways, is what they call them, and tracked like who college works for and what like the party lifestyle, the like, you know, the, the legacy lifestyle, the scholarship. And the book is really fascinating for a number of like reasons dealing with like equality in our world. But I was just obsessed with the world that this was in and these academic women like interviewing these young women. And I'm really inspired by real dialogue. I want my dialogue to sound real. And the quotes from these real women were just really heartbreaking in certain moments. Like there would be young women saying, all the girls on my floor have a puffy coat. I want a puffy coat. And there was just something so tender about that. And I wanted to tap into that. Or some of the young women would say, hey, you guys haven't come and talked to me yet. Why has no one come and talked to me? And there was just this pull of like, you know, when you're 11 and you hear the word professor and you're like, ooh, wow, you're like important. I wanted to see what that looked like in a campus setting. So I felt like a dorm was like a really hot house to show those power dynamics. And you're right. There's a very mean and popular young woman named Tyler there. And she is probably one of the few working class characters, but she has such cultural cachet that that really carries her really far. And then there's someone like Peyton, who's the only black student who's on her floor aside from Millie. And she has a lot of money, but she's very awkward and not warm and kind of coddled by her parents. And the power is, is divvied up in different ways with her as well. I just like taking a bunch of people and putting them in a room and being like, how, how can this get fucked up like immediately yeah. <laughs> and see how that can happen within a dorm? Yeah. And you did a bunch of interviews for this book. And as a nonfiction lover, I'm curious, did you ever just want to write a nonfiction book? Like, did you ever think this is so juicy as is like, can I turn this into something else? I feel like whenever I have to write nonfiction, I end up in tears, like truly. But I did <laughs> after one of the first interviews that I did when I was still at school, I knew I wanted to write about young people and money. And so I started interviewing some of my students when they weren't my students anymore. I interviewed um, the Starbucks worker who I went to see because I wanted a Starbucks worker. And I just wanted to ask them about money and the very first people that I interviewed, I did write a for the forward to the Great Gatsby when I went into the public domain about that session. So I think like 5,000 words is as much as I can do on that. <laughs> but I did take things straight from my interviews sometimes and put them right into, into the book. Um, in the first chapter, there's a young woman who says um, she got a practice paycheck. And that was something that I, I talked to a woman about. We were talking about like, how do your parents give you money? Who gives you money? Like cash up Venmo, like what is it logistics? And she was like, oh, my dad's a dentist and I get like a practice paycheck from him, from his dentist's office. And I was like, but you don't work there. And she was like, no. And I was like, but it's real money. She said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, so you and your brothers get it and it says your name and it's from the dentist's office. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, girl, I'm so sorry. That is fraud, right? Like, Am I wrong? And she was like, no, 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 no. Like, it's totally fine. That went straight into the book. Straight into so, the book. So... <laughs> I feel like I take those moments, not nonfiction yet. I don't have that brain okay. yet, but putting it. I'm fiction. waiting. Yes. Also, that moment in the book was the exact moment that I was like, oh, I'm going to like this book. Like the practice. I was like, OK, I'm I don't know what this is, but like this is a place that I would like to be for the rest of my life. One of the characters, Agatha, in the book, she does that. She interviews these students in she interviews them directly and in other ways. What did you learn about Agatha in the process of you interviewing people? I definitely learned that, like, people ask me all the time, how did you get people to talk to you about money? 
easily. People just like talking about themselves. I think a lot of us are lonely and want to feel important. And when someone comes in and says like, hey, you're actually really interesting and I want to know you what you think, people are very excited to share. A lot of people I talked to wanted me to know how much they knew it was inappropriate and gauche to talk about money, but they still love doing it. I thought that was interesting. Um, I think I learned that a lot of the parts that were interesting to me were in between the questions and like the verbal asides and the little like um, idiosyncrasies that we don't know we have a little bit or, or even someone correcting themselves. I interviewed a young woman, she was white and she was in a sorority and I was asking her about recruitment process that she did. And then I was asking her about the two black fraternity and sororities like on campus. And I said, okay, so in recruitment, do the black sororities like participate in the same way? And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like just the normal ones do. And she like caught herself and I have to be cool in that moment. (laughs) And she, oh, I don't see color. Yeah, but I I just have to be like, but she was like, no, I mean, um, not that they're not normal, but, and I want to honor her in that moment and capture like how she corrects herself and put that into my fiction. Like that's just as important as. And how do you do that? (sighs) It It takes so much time. I truly believe that the books that I want to read have a generous and democratic approach to their characters. I know a lot of reviews are saying, oh, this satire, that is not my intention here. I think it's like a lazy choice to be like, look at these dumb kids. I don't think the kids are dumb. This was just showing people inside of their rooms, thinking things that people think. So it was a big balance of showing the way students talk and also making it not grading for an audience. I don't, you're a podcaster. You've probably transcribed things. We talk terribly. Yeah. And we say like, oh my God, all the time. So yeah, you should read my reviews. Exactly. A lot of people don't like like. A lot of people don't like like. <laughs> they also don't like vocal fry. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't like it, but a lot of people do it. And that's the fiction I want to read shows just real life on the page. Okay. You sort of cued me up for this one because yeah. I'm really curious to, I've, I've listened to you talk about your books. I've read reviews, you know, I've tried to really get into your head a little bit. And one of the things I can't quite figure out is that you say the book's not satire. And I've also heard you talk about like, you know, you won't tell people what happens to the characters in the future because that's not your business. That's their, their business. And so I'm curious how much you care if someone reads your book and says, this is satire, how important is your intention to the reader's understanding and or how important is that to you that like, we get it right. I think I care with this book in particular, I care in as far as the people I interviewing thinking that I'm not making fun of them. That's like the barrier. If someone's like, oh, I loved it. It was a satire. I'm like, that's fine. Go off. Like that's what I wanted, but that's fine. The people that I interviewed, I wanted to respect them and their lives. I think a lot of people will hear a Southern accent and be like, that's funny. And I don't just, I'm like, people talk certain ways. I don't think that that's funny on its own. And I don't believe that a novel should have like a one core message or thesis, but I do believe something happens in the first chapter that hopefully sets people up. Millie, the main character, says she overhears girls calling her ghetto. And she's like, I know exactly what they're talking about. I was getting something for her. And I said, ooh, this isn't the right one. And she was like, ah, ha, ha, you're saying, oh, this ain't the right one. And she's like, that's not how I said it. And then she says, you know what? People hear what they want to hear. And I think that that's a central point to this book. Mm. And I think a lot of people will see a Southern accent and read it in a really magnified way. But the way that I hopefully am portraying these people is how they are in the real world. And 
that they know that I'm not like poking fun at those parts of them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. That is the end of this bonus teaser. If you are having a good time, I'm really sorry. Just know if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash the stacks and joining the stacks pack. You'll get a bonus episode just like this one every single month, plus access to our discord, our virtual book club, a lot more. And you'll get to know that by joining the stacks pack, you get to make the stacks possible every week. So if you love the show, if you want more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks, finish listening to this episode, enjoy all the bonus content, and we will see you in the stacks.